Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in the greatest city on earth, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And my name is Kyle Hagee. And I'm Benjamin Rangel. And we have some big news for Bridge the City podcast. Uh, As many of you may know, we started a bi-weekly radio show. On River West Radio. That's 104.1. Yeah. River West Radio. It's basically where all the cool kids are hanging out. And that's on Sundays, so uh, definitely check that out. We have Sundays at 5.30. At 5.30. It's live. But they also have archive versions on SoundCloud, all that jazz. But we have a lot of local people on. Our latest one was actually someone out of town from uh, Newton, Massachusetts, a, a mayor's aide talking about uh, local politics. Uh, we were also recently interviewed by Evan Casey for the Shepherd Express. That article will be out soon. And we've really had some incredible interviews here in the new year, uh, including Assemblyman Evan Goyke, Community Leader Margaret Henningsen, and School Board Director Paula Phillips. Yeah, so there's a lot coming out in the near future, so make sure you, you listen, subscribe, get your friends to listen as well. But I do want to highlight Director Phillips really quickly because we at Bridget City, as you all know, love stressing elections. Mm-hmm. And one of the most consequential elections for our city, the school board, has some of the lowest turnout. It's about 8% on average. Yeah. And we really Crazy. want people to turn out for this round. So there's a school board election coming up. There's a primary on February 19th and the general election in, on April 2nd. The February 19th primary is if like you live in the Bayview area on the south side, you have some you have a primary election that you should pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So please do your research, tell your friends about it, um, and look out for our episode with Director Phillips, who will share her story about how she joined the school board and and what exactly does the school board do? Yeah, and that in the general election on April second, there's other there's other things besides the yeah. school board, but there is an at large candidate. So everyone uh, on April second will have a school board person to vote for. Um, so even if you don't live in the Bayview area, that is a really important election. Yes, of course. Um, and actually, Kyle, remember yeah. a fun fact about the school board budget or the the MPS. Budget. It is a fun fact. I shared this with with Director Phillips. Oh, did she? It, it's close. It's close. I, I feel. I, I feel thought we fact checked it. I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't okay. double fact checked it. But this the school board budget is close to, if not a little higher than the city budget. Is the fun fact. So there's a lot of money. Yes. You know, a lot of dollars going around that you all should should have a say in where those funds go. Yes. So yeah. Well, pay so. attention. Pay attention. Um. So to transition to today's episode. Uh, we have a wonderful guest. That is Emerald Mills of Diverse Dining. Uh, Diverse Dining is, is a really new initiative here in Milwaukee whose mission is to cultivate courage, compassion, and connection. I love that. Through meaningful conversations centered around diverse foods and cultural exploration. And, and so in essence, it's really about bringing different people together to discuss very important topics over a shared meal. We know the power of sharing a meal um, can be very strong and having these conversations is really critically important to addressing some of the challenges that Milwaukee faces. Yeah, and this was a fantastic interview, a, a Milwaukee talkie as we would call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do want to say that uh, Diverse Dining has an event here soon on the 31st, right? Yep, yep, correct. January 31st. And so after this conversation, go ahead and sign up for that event. Uh, you can get an incredible meal, share an incredible conversation, and have some new friends, make some new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the event, like I said, is the 31st at the Sherman Phoenix. So if you also haven't checked out the Sherman Phoenix yet, it's an amazing space. 
and you should definitely check it out and visit. And why not also check out Diverse Dining at the same time? Exactly. Uh, so with all that being said, uh, we're now going to, I guess, pass the mic to Emerald Mills. Again, she is the founder of Diverse Dining. Uh, and she's going to explain a lot about her own life uh, and kind of what experiences she had that led her to uh, Diverse Dining and also the mission uh, of the organization and where she sees it going in the future. Yeah, so enjoy. Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. Bridge the city, whoa, bridge the city, yeah. Bridge the city, yeah. Gotta bridge the city, the city. My name is Emerald. I'm first of all honored to have opportunity to be on your podcast. Um, but my name is Emerald. I'm the founder of Diverse Dining, which uh, is an organization where our mission is to cultivate courage compassion and connection between people of different cultures and backgrounds and, and really just experiences as a whole um, to give them opportunity to, to sit at a table, enjoy some different food from different cultures, which a lot of times helps to break the ice and to engage in various different conversations, mostly from a storytelling aspect versus information and education, just really to get people to get to know each other in a setting that's comfortable and safe. So we're really excited to be able to talk to you because... I think that mission that you talk about is really kind of what Bridges City is trying to do, is to bridge people together, overcome some of the obstacles the city faces. So we also always love talking about food, so that's nice. That's good. So I was doing some background research for the, this episode, and I saw that you actually grew up not in Milwaukee, but in a, a small town in Illinois. Is that correct? That's correct. Do you want to talk about your experience growing up there and how that maybe was different from when you then did move to Milwaukee? and kind of highlight some of the differences you saw in the communities? Absolutely. As you pointed out, I grew up in a very small town north of Chicago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. North of Chicago. (laughs) It always is weird. (laughs) South of here, north of Chicago. Um, And the population, of the the demographics are pretty much about um, 40% Caucasian, or 40% other races and then 60% Caucasian. So it was a pretty diverse small town. Um, Our high school was... Uh, was diverse. Um, our neighborhoods were, were diverse. It was just a small town. And so um, I know people always say, and I probably am annoyed equally when people say I don't see color. Um, and, and I won't, you know, say that, but I, it really wasn't, it, it really wasn't a focus or emphasis of growing up. We didn't really talk about, at least from my lens, color didn't come up a lot. I do remember one particular time when it was the issue and that was during the OJ trial. And I think that was the first day that I was aware that people were having some issues, but even still, I was probably walking home with a friend that was of another race, and and then random people may you know been acting ignorant in whatever way. So it didn't really apply to the culture that I had grew up with. Um, we had commonalities because we were a small community of you see people, you speak. We really just had a community that that had certain unspoken rules of respect and unspoken rules of compassion and concern. Um, and so that was just how I thought life was to some to some degree. Um, I had questions about obviously different things that you see and you learn when growing up, and yeah. you hear about Martin Luther King and stuff like that, and and Mandela, and you and you say, oh wow, the world was a certain place, but it wasn't really my world. I didn't feel like um, growing up that that was what was happening to me. In fact, mm-hmm. it felt like some of those other things were so far away from me that. You know, I almost it was almost like, when did this t- stuff take place? How did this? How were people living in this kind of world? Yeah. Fast forward to to move into Milwaukee, and I moved my junior year in high school, 
Um, so I went from a pretty diverse to um, a school where I was the majority. Um, I I went to Washington High School. Okay. Um, it was I don't even know what the percent was of African American, but I I don't remember seeing anybody white <laughs> while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, some of the things that were different that I noticed for me were, were standards. One were different. Like I went from really needing to do some extra credits to catch up to like being able to have a half a day yeah. moving um, up here as well as um, the the culture of the the school and the community was just, it was just different. It was very isolated. Like obviously Milwaukee, you know, there's white people that live in Milwaukee, but they weren't at my school. So where are they? You know, why do I go to school where it's just one, one uh, race? So, um, I could go on and on and on. Yeah, no, that, that, that was really informative. <laughs> but, yeah. And so this, this idea of diverse dining, was this something that like you came to Milwaukee and you're like, this isn't like the small town I'm from, I have a brilliant idea, I'm going to have people sit around and enjoy a meal and talk, or was this something that, you know, you developed later on in your mm-hmm. professional career? Yeah, I would say that it was a, a definitely, the idea of diverse dining was definitely an evolution over time. Mm-hmm. And um, to be honest, um, I, I my mindset and just who I am as a person is always to try to find solutions to problems and situations. I am one of those people that, you know, I look at things to figure out how can it be fixed or how can, um, you know, what can help it. Um, maybe that's something I got from a small town or my mom or a variety of things. I don't know. Um, so coming to Milwaukee and starting to become aware, more aware of different issues and problems, I felt like the only reason I could be here because I'm not a fan of the cold yeah. <laughs> would have to be that I'm supposed to do something about some of the problems that exist. Um, I majored in school and communications. I ended up taking a minor in community education in in college. Um, and while I was in college, I went from working like in corporate, some corporate, a corporate job on the phones to um, working at the Black Health Coalition, where, where I focused on health equity um, and different health disparities. Um, I went from there, graduating um, after I graduated from school to working. I, I worked in my ministry in a church that I went to for a while, which was a larger church in the community that right now, well, I'll just say Parkline, but which is right now dealing a lot with different um, racial uh, equity issues. And then I went from there to working at the health department in the city for a, a, about eight years, then to a hospital. So I had a lot of different experience working with health disparities from a lot of different perspectives. One of the things that wasn't really being talked about or wasn't really being addressed directly was the impact of segregation, the impact of um, discrimination and racism and things of that nature, and just the divide. I mean, we, we know Milwaukee is at the top, if not the top of the list for um, some of those issues, but it hasn't been, at least up until this point, a part of the thread of how we um, deal with different issues and how do we get past that so that we can actually resolve issues. So 20 years working in um, public health and not really seeing huge decreases in, in different disparities or issues that we were working in, to me said, this is a little bit bigger than just us. We have to start dealing with you know, why people aren't interacting or dealing with each other or living in certain spaces or even getting to know people in different spaces. So it, it was definitely an evolution over time, knowledge and information wise. But one of the things that I think was most impactful for me was my own relationship with someone who was of another race, which came about 10 years after after being here. Um, I met um, a person and I can shout her out. Hopefully she doesn't care, but um, her name Heather, <laughs> Heather Williams. And um, we were in a business class through Wibbick 
um, together on a Saturday morning. I was dressed in jeans or maybe somewhat what I have on now. Um, she came in, blonde hair, two-piece, like, business attire, um, and ended up sitting next to me. And at that time, you know, 10 years in a city, I didn't have one person that I could say was a, was a friend that was of another race. But I'm also authentic to the sense of like, I'm not going to fake like I'm, you're my friend and have the surface level relationship. And we, like you, so. Right. Like yeah. we're just not going to go along with it. Um, and so I was bothered by the fact that I didn't really have much diversity in my own personal relationships, but I really didn't know what to do about it because I felt like the conditions in which I lived in were just, that just was the way it was. And so um, for a number of reasons. And anyway, uh, Heather came and sat next to me in class um, because she sat next to me and because I was, you know, groomed around common respect. And, you know, we spoke and engaged in a little bit of a small talk and conversation. And from that, she was like, oh, you know, like, you're really cool. I think we should hang out. And, you know, I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 right. You know, and she actually followed, you know, followed up with me, called me, we just, we kept at it. Um, we, over time, we started to spend a lot, I probably spent more time with her within that year than I had did most of my friends. We, we did the fat, uh, fat tire bike tour because I like bike riding and I hadn't got on my bike. And so she was like, let's go, let's do a bike riding tour. And, you know, she put me, she brought me around people who were her friends. And, and there was a certain level of, you know, knowledge and information that because of her position and because of the people she had relationship with, I didn't have access to. And so I began to have friendships with her friends. And um, it just evolved a lot from there. Um, we also had to deal with a lot of our own personal biases that we had together. Like, of course, you know, 10 years in, you know, I had developed some and, you know, she had developed some. And, you know, we would joke about me not having hot sauce. You know, I do like hot sauce, everybody, but I didn't have any at my house at the time. And, you know, I mean, random things that are, you know, funny, but not funny, depending mm-hmm. on how they're used. And um, that can or a lot of times do point to some underlining barrier or um, defense that we put up to, to not really engage in relationships with people. We, we went through those, but it was it was our relationship. And, and, and over time, uh, we developed a, just a strong friendship and still to this day. So we we kind of even talked about the concept and the idea, not so much from a business perspective, but like we both uh, kind of exist within two worlds. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do we kind of collectively help um, people break these barriers in our own world? And also understanding that I would have never been open to that had somebody just came to me and told me information or had somebody just came to me and told me this is what I should do. But because I developed a, a genuine friendship and relationship with her. I was open to it. My defenses gradually came down and, and the trust was built and established. And so very similarly, that's, that's, that was the aim for Diverse Dining. She moved. So again, this, uh, this started about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, after me being here 10 years, she moved to, got a, a great job in Philadelphia, um, and moved. And I was kind of like, she left me and like, what, <laughs> one, one man show and yeah. start whatever it was. It wasn't Diverse Dining, but it was just an idea of in, in, engaging people in these, through these relationship mm-hmm. processes. And by the time policy changed and Trump got in office, um, I, I went from this is a good idea to this is uh, necessary. Um, another thing that I, I shared in the story that you read is, read is that about five years ago, I ended up getting custody of three of my sister's children. Um, one of them is a mix, of mixed race. Um, and so uh, just just thinking, you know, uh, what kind of world is he going to grow up in and and how can I, what, what can I do or what should I be doing to help make sure that he has, uh, can he, he can exist.
So speaking of your nieces and nephews, in the article that I read about you and diverse dining, it mentioned how you had to make that decision to move. Uh, when they first came here, they went to school in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. but then you had the decision to move them to a school in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that decision and that experience influence your decision behind like starting diverse dining and wanting to pursue something like diverse dining? Yeah, all like I said, it all... Um it all has played a, a factor. It's just a number of, I'm one of those kind of stubborn people <laughs> a little bit where I'm like, I don't know how many reminders or how many indicators do you have to get before you finally do what you're supposed to do. I think that's more so me. Um, I lived, I purchased a duplex while I was still in college um, on Milwaukee's north side. I, I stayed there for 13 years. Um, and I lived there and I didn't really have any, you know, any issues cause I came in and out. I didn't, you know, I never was robbed. My house wasn't broken into, you know, it was, it was fine. Um, you definitely seen the, the gradual change over time as far as, uh, more sirens on, you know, every other day versus once a weekend or, you know, things like that. And you would hear about different things that were happening in the neighborhood and community. But because I worked and I spent so much time doing every, everything that I had to do, it was, it was fine for me. When I got the children, excuse me, um, not only was it not enough space, but it also was now they want to go around the corner to go play at the playground, um, which is a little bit different from, you know, me going in and out my house. And a, a couple things actually happened in, in the neighborhood after they came. Um, the biggest thing, though, was school and the school system. It was because I pretty much became an overnight mom. Um, I didn't have the time to figure out what their next moves were going to be before they came. So it was really like figure out a school for them once they're there. And that was the challenge. Um, the first school that we went to, the best of the options that were available for me was a charter school um, that was going through a number of changes. Now it's not even open anymore. Um, part of my my day job uh, with the hospital is working with schools. So I do know that there's some great work that's happening in NPS schools and, and some of the most courageous people that I can even think of, period, from principals to um, teachers because of the mountains of issues that they have to that they're faced with and just the 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 limited resources and constraints in which they're challenged to do them um in and and yet sometimes on a daily basis they still make miracles happen but in my particular case where I was able to get them in within the time and and where they were at it just was it was not a a, a good situation uh, education wise for them and I didn't have a lot of options available to me and the decision to move to the suburbs was more so around figuring out what school system is going to work best. Um, is that a difficult decision? Um, so I, because I grew up in a small town, I will, you know, just being honest, I like this. I like quiet. I like mm-hmm. suburbs. I like quiet. Now, I will say uh, it was challenging for me because of when you understand a lot about the history of Milwaukee and you understand a lot about the demographics in Milwaukee where there's not more than most most suburbs surrounding Milwaukee have less than 10% of people of color, people in, general. Of color in general. It was kind of like, um, <laughs> how is this going to work <laughs> out? So it was a, you know, I didn't, I, I looked at about 30 something houses before mm-hmm. I picked the house that I was at and it was from different neighborhoods in Milwaukee but, you know, as well as different suburbs. And so it did take a while to, to make that determination. It was scary from the sense of, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what I'm really entering into, but it was uh good in, in, in the terms of, I know they'll be safe from certain things. Um, I also know that I'll get some peace and quiet 
<laughs> and because I work in the in the city, I serve in the city, you know, and I I was at a point where it was like I need to I don't want my mindset to get to the point where I stop looking at solutions and I start looking at things just for what um I see on TV or what I hear or what I feel. You, you know, need any to take care of Yeah. Yourself. Oh yeah. yeah I needed some I needed some self-care yeah. from everything that I was dealing with every day. The dif- the decision was difficult and ac- after we moved there were some incidents um that happened. Um, my nephew sometimes, you know, sometimes black kid, Af- all fully African American kids say you're white to him, um, and then you have people who are white that say, you know, you you you're you're this that and the other because you're mixed. Um, so it's 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 all ignorance, I guess, is the best way. To- After hearing about your backgrounds, and then now we're at the point where you've started diverse dining. So for our listeners, what what can they expect if they go to a diverse dining event what does that look like what are they what are you hoping that they get out of it and what are some of maybe the successes you've seen with it yeah i pretty much customize all of our content around whatever topic that we have we do games as well as we do icebreakers so i customize information that people probably don't know or need to learn and i put it in a way of a game so it makes everybody a little bit less uh challenged with their acknowledgement of maybe I didn't know that. Uh, for instance, one of our first events where we had at uh, the Tandem, which uh, is near where uh, one of the Underground Railroad stops. Um, so we talked about, you know, I cr- created questions around that and asked other questions about statistics in the neighborhood, but put it in a way where um, it made it easy, easier or easy for people to digest. As well as like we, one of the games we've done is um, find someone who, but we create all the questions around culture and diversity and things like that. So people are, you know, going one-on-one and having a dialogue with people and learning things about them that are similarities that they would have never probably thought were similarities. Then we always have a guest speaker that facilitates the topic uh, uh, whatever the topic is of that day, one of the, some of the topics that we've had have been like on immigration. So we've had somebody who was born an immigrant, came to the city as an immigrant, um, and now is, you know, a citizen and has, you know, overcome a lot of obstacles, share their story. Then we talk more about that experience as a, as a community or as the group of people at dinner. We've also talked about vulnerability which was really a good conversation because our men were really engaged and active and like women want us to be vulnerable, but they don't want us to be vulnerable. And um, so we were able to have a, a deeper dialogue about that. Some of the cool attributes of just coming to a diverse dining is we always highlight and feature different restaurants around the city. Um, so we're drawing in business intentionally to different uh, places and people are also getting exposure to different food and learning a little bit of an inside um, insider information about the restaurant. So if possible, we have a restaurant owner or somebody that represents the restaurant tell their story as well so people can um, get a different level of appreciation for the food that they're eating and a person who's um, serving it and, and making sure that they have it. In addition to that, we have a conversation piece towards the end where it's kind of like a call to action. For people that are uh, attending mm-hmm. these events, mm-hmm. how do they find out about them? What's the average size of an mm-hmm. event? Oh, and then I'm, I'm curious on after the event, mm-hmm. are you staying in touch with any of these mm-hmm. people? Do you see that some of these relationships are lasting past just one meal? First, so I've been a diverse dining has been existing six months, mm-hmm. uh, roughly. Uh, my first three months, I've 
put it out there as a beta test. I didn't know what to expect, what kind of response I would get. So I just started with a uh, little Facebook marketing and hoping that my friends would, would push the torch as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so to be honest, a lot of things, uh, just grew from there. Most of the, um, the, the first event and, and some of the other events just sold out my capacity, uh, or goal for a, a diverse dining meal or dinner is is roughly about 25 at the most, a, a 35. So that's how people find out, have found out about it. I've also started to to spread the word on my uh, LinkedIn. And believe it or not, I naturally, wherever I go, I naturally kind of talk to people. Yeah. Like, I that's, that's my personality. We do have repeat people who come back to several dinners and... I guess to answer the question, there are a number of people who just stay connected. Mm-hmm. Most of the people who are on the team that provide any level of support to Diverse Dining are all people who came. Like, we, I might have knew them before. One of them I didn't. One of them I, I, I didn't know at all. But because of Diverse Dining, we just um, we fostered a relationship. And so I, I have a number, personally, I have a number of new relationships from people who I met at Diverse Dining Dinners. And then there has been some, not only relationships, but um, one person got like a grant for their organization as a result of uh, coming to an event. Um, and then people just stay in touch kind of organically. But we that is the focus for, at least for me, is to mm-hmm. continue to find ways to figure out how to um, make sure that those relationships are being fostered. Because I my personal belief is that, you know, information doesn't change people, experiences change people. And so the more I can uh, help cultivate those experiences for people, the the more likely change will happen yeah. over time. And so on your website, I was looking at the website earlier, there were some statistics you had about kind of race mm-hmm. in America in general. And it was 43% of blacks were skeptical that the country will really make any kind of progress mm-hmm. to bring uh, equal rights mm-hmm. to people of color. 55% of whites were saying that there is discrimination against whites mm-hmm. in America. And by 2050, 48% of the U.S. population will be quote-unquote minorities. Mm-hmm. I know you talked about how there's different kind of themes mm-hmm. at each one, but underlying is this kind of a racial, like, let's kind of unify and bring people together, particularly in Milwaukee because of it mm-hmm. so segregated? Yeah, it's uh, the, uh, the 100% of the mission is to bring people together just because my approach is slightly different because it's more so getting people to to see their similarities um in certain ways before we talk about differences um just because you know just talking about differences to me you know guilt you know i've, I've been a part of various different dni trainings and things like that and i think it's interesting because because a lot of times people leave and they're they're feeling guilty and they well, how did I not know this? And why did I not do this? And in some cases, you know, maybe it drives them to get more information. But in most cases, um, you know, I think guilt just turns to how do I stop feeling guilty? So our goal is to make sure people, you know, like, we're going to call you on your stuff or, we'll, you know, you, we'll hold you accountable and you hold me accountable. But the idea is that you have that group or you have these these individuals that can help you to change because without that the likelihood of you changing is is just not likely you're going to probably go back to whatever you did you may hide it or you may act like it um it's not exist it's non-existent but the reality is it's probably not changing and i think that that's why we are even in a space that we're in you know how many ever years after civil rights and how many ever years after all of the things that happened because we kind of just like well, we're going to all act like this went away and we're going to change the law and then we're going to put everybody in the same space and hope that it gets better. And, and the reality is, you know, 
no matter who you are, if you don't have some people who are going to be able to help hold you accountable and walk you through that, you're going to probably go back to the same habits and the same beliefs and, you know, or you, you're going to harbor, you know, you won't go back to it, but you, you, you won't really feel supported enough to stand out against it or to do something about it. And so that's really what we, we seek to create in a, in a little bit different way, you know, and, and, and some of the testimonials, which, you know, we, we were able to reach about over 10,000 people through, uh, Facebook, through Lori Frederick wrote an article, um, uh, which is what you were referring yeah. to pretty early on, which, which, uh, put our name out there a little bit more. So we, we've been able to reach quite a bit of people. But for me, some of the things that were, that are, are most motivating for me are just the testimonials of people who have come to the events and have said, you know, I felt, I really felt comfortable sharing. I really feel like this is a space that is, um, safe for me to begin to work on doing some things that I need to do and, um, have just stayed, stayed accountable to that. I mean, we don't, we don't sugarcoat things or we don't act like things don't exist, but you know, even for myself, it's like, if I, if I try to think if I was on the other foot, um, you know, if I was white and I was living in a time where certain things were going on, what would I need? Um, and what would I, what would I need to do in order to, um, be able to help influence that? And so that's really what we try to provide and, and create and, and, and it's, it's been working pretty well. It's great. And then one of the things I just love about diverse dining is that you do all of that over food. Mm-hmm. I think all, all of us have been to events where we, we talk about the challenges the city face and talk about solutions and maybe there's some vulnerability, but there's something special mm-hmm. about bringing people together over a shared meal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're passing dishes, maybe you're trying stuff off each other's plates. Um, and then I noticed that in the article, you said Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. and his passing was actually an inspiration. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what is it about sharing a meal and food and maybe, or what, what did Anthony Bourdain's mm-hmm. role have in this all to inspire you to kind of pursue this, this, um, diverse that's, dining? That's a, that's a great question. I'm, I'm greedy. Like, <laughs> I'm greedy and I'm unbiased, uh, completely when it comes to food. Like, there is, you know, nobody I hate enough to not eat. Like, I mean, so, um, it's, it's a huge connection point for people. And if, if the food is great, you know, people are happy. If there is food, people are happy. You know, you can, you can turn it to another person if you're hangry. And it's definitely the, the unique spin and, and, and advantage with diverse dining is you learn a lot about someone. When you share a meal with them, just like Anthony Bourdain said, you know, quoted. But also, I mean, as far as you can think about any resolution, I think, that has come or any major, you know, you think about just major cultures and stuff like that. They always, going even back to like the Last Supper, if you want to talk about, you know, they always incorporate some aspect of food. Because I think that it just does have that power to kind of, you know, bring people together. The other thing with that is, you know, a lot of times in Sherman Phoenix, which our next event will be at, the Sherman Phoenix is business um, and, and supporting business and driving business is huge for communities that have uh, traditionally been marginalized or that are struggling, you know, or in poverty. Um, and so tying in the support of uh, various different establishments is it was key um, for diverse dining. We want to make sure that we are helping the different communities, you know, with the dollars. So so both of those things are were very intentional, very much a, a part of the thread outside of the fact that I just absolutely love food. And if I got to do anything for two and a half hours, I need a snack. <laughs> I need a snack or something. <laughs> yeah, now it's not two and a half hours. Yeah, you, are fi- you are yeah, fine. You are fine. But, um, order Jimmy John's quick under the table. Like, get some food but 
but I will say too, and I didn't say about Anthony Bourdain. I mean, I mean, I don't really probably have to say much about him, but just in how he operated and, and what he did and all the places that he went, um, you know, he was, he was kind of leading this mission. I mean, people were watching him through TV, but it, he was opening and bringing a certain level of awareness to, you know, millions of people around, you know, cultures and, um, different locations and places you visit and people, the pe- you know, the people he did a b- very good job of helping people who maybe never would travel to those places or have traveled um, and probably didn't get the full experience of those places to learn about them and to understand them and to, to just explore them in a different way. And so, yeah, major, major inspiration um, for so many reasons. The last thing I'll say is you know, one of the first places I traveled to was Ghana. And that was the first flight. So my first flight was like 21 hours. And it happened because I was at UWM and I was about to graduate, you know, at the time with my bachelor's in communications. And I had, um, I didn't have international credit yet. And at that time at UWM, the international credit would fill up really fast. And if you didn't get it, like either you were going to have to wait a whole nother year to graduate. And, And so it had filled up and they were like, well, your only other option is you can do a study abroad. And I'm like, I can study, like, I found out my senior year, I can study abroad. I'm like, that's an option? I didn't even know that that was a thing in college. Um, and so they offered me a winter-term study abroad in Ghana. So it was 21 days um, in January that I got an opportunity to go to Ghana. Um, and that was my first flight, um, my senior year in college. And, tr- again, transformational um, for so many different reasons. Also, to see the pride, you, you see poverty, but you also seen a sense of pride. you also seen a sense of... Um, uh, of just appreciation for life and, and humility um, that I I hadn't really experienced being in America. You you get so many precautionary things to to take a travel a trip traveling across the country, and it was it was nothing like. I mean I I think I remember trying to like run from the plane and not get back on to come back home. That's how how fantastic of a time I had. It was it was amazing. Um, and you know since then I've been out of the country a number of more times. I've traveled to a lot of different states and for a while. Um, as my article said, that was my medicine for living here. It was like, I just need to go to another place and experience something different. And then I can live here for six more months because I, I don't really agree with the way we do things. Um, and, and later on, made it, making the decision to say, well, I'm going to be a part of the solution. I'm going to explore what Milwaukee has to offer. And I'll do the best that I can to bring people together so that they can um, have some of the same experiences. So. So you mentioned the next event was at Sherman Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Can you give a little more details about when that will be and how people can uh, attend that event? Yeah, so Sherman Phoenix uh, will be the next event. It will be the end of January, January 31st at 6 o'clock. Um, tickets are available for purchase on, um, you can go to uh, www.4diversedining, um, or you can go on Facebook, or you can go on Eventbrite and uh, Google Diverse Dining. Um, and you'll find the website as well as find the uh, link on Eventbrite. Uh, we will be in the uh, Vibes Creative Art Space upstairs, so we will have a private uh, space um, as well as we will be able to do a, do a little bit of touring while we're there for people who want to do that as well. But obviously, Sherman Phoenix is is a great ideal space, and and really is another thing. You know, Joanne, Joanne, and um, Manon, you know, are you know, kindred spirits, I would, I would like to say, I don't know if they'll claim me, but <laughs> they're kindred spirits in the sense of just being able to, um, you know, set a trend and, and just create a kind of a, um, just create a path where people can come together in a, in a very unique way. And so, 
um, that's that's just the ideal space to to do something like this. Do you have a February date already? So set? February, um, and this is I'm hopefully I can announce this. I will just promote and plug. We are in the makings of finalizing an event, uh, a love languages event for February. I don't have full details that may okay. be Valentine's Day weekend, but I will say that I was debating with the valence, with the February theme because I, um, last year formed a partnership with, uh, Uita, Um, and so I will be, uh, a part of their carnival event, which is going to be February. Oh God, I'm going to get the date wrong. 23rd. Um, and that is going to be a diverse dining on steroids experience where they, they very intentionally bring together a number of vendors across the city. Um, particularly those who, you know, caterers as well as restaurants that maybe typically don't get a lot of exposure will be having tastings at that event. And then there is just going to be an infusion of culture. So, uh, different kind of dance. Um, I encourage you to get your tickets for that as soon as they come available. But just to follow UIDA as a, as a whole, they're just a great, a great, uh, organization and a good group of people. So one of the things um, that makes Purchase City unique in terms of the podcasting world is that we like to end each episode with tangible action steps. So advice to give everyday listeners, everyday community members of Milwaukee, you know, specific tangible things to do if they want to either get involved with the work you're doing or contribute towards Milwaukee in in some way. Um, So we would love to hear some action steps from you for our listeners, whether those be related to diverse dining or just broad action stuff. Well, I love action steps. I love that you guys incorporated that as a part of your podcast. We, we definitely do that at um, the Diverse Dining Dinners. Um, so I will do a shameless plug of saying just, you know, go ahead and like us on Facebook. Um, check out our website, um, which is, yeah, check out our website. Um, come to a Diverse Dining event if you can. But I also will say, um, along with our mission statement, is, is cultivating courage, compassion, and connection. Um, you can you can do that on a daily basis. Um, some of my favorite people are are Milwaukee bus, uh, the the transportation company because I'm always seeing them um, on the news or on Facebook as being some everyday heroes and just doing a little bit extra. Um, and so I think that anybody has the opportunity to to do that. Um, being courageous means just doing a little bit extra. We don't have to go far to see all of the issues that are happening um, in our city, in our state, in our country. Um, and so just, just making some kind of commitment to yourself that you want to reach out a little bit further and do something a little bit more than what you're doing or be an advocate for somebody that needs an advocate, um, helping somebody that needs some help, saying something to somebody that needs to hear something different, whatever, whatever one you want to pick. I, I think that that's important. And, and then the connection piece, I think, you know, looking at problems in the contents of relationship and, and really thinking like, you know, who who else can I connect to that will help me to broaden my level of understanding um, or who can give me a deeper experience than what I have versus, you know, how can I help these people or how can I solve this problem? Because I, as, I, as I alluded to earlier, you know, most change happens in the contents of relationship. And so find, go after, uh, and I don't know how I learned this, but one of the things I was taught really early on is to go after the relationships that challenge me the most. Um, and so to be friends with the people who maybe irritate me on, on the begin in the beginning, but I challenge people to do, to do that, um, to, you know, this relationship's a little awkward, a little uncomfortable, but I'm going to, you know, try to engage in some more conversation. I think there's some things I can learn from this person. And I think that that, um, in and of itself is probably the best, best call to action that a person can have because it's, um, longstanding and it's, it's sustainable. And I'm sure, you know, if any person thinks about some of the things that were the most impactful in their life, it happened through the contents of some kind of relationship. 
So um, to to connect with people in a different way than we yeah. connect to get off Facebook. Right <laughs> after you like that first dining, get off get off Facebook and out of people comments. I was a big fan of this interview with Emerald Mills, and I really want to talk about one thing that stuck out to me the most, and that was her discussion on how people often have friends that are the same race as themselves, and sometimes exclusively uh, their own race, and how this can be problematic at times. Uh, And it really made me reflect on my own life and my own friendships that I had. And I know that growing up in a, a suburban community in Minnesota, Uh, that I had zero friends that were people of color. Uh, And obviously this ends up really shaping your worldview and what you think of as average experiences and what you think of in your own mind as the struggles that people go through. And it also just made me think of how friendships are formed. And obviously, typically your friends are people you're around often enough or participating in activities with And so it made me assess who was in my circle and the types of people that are in my circle. And obviously in Milwaukee, many of our spaces, it's not just where people live, but where people work and where people hang out and people participate in activities with are segregated themselves too. And this really limits our ability to make friends that may look or think differently than ourselves. And I really think that the power of Diverse Dining, this organization that Emerald has created, is really kind of facilitating these spaces that are diverse and they're not segregated uh, and creating intentionally an environment where friendships are cultivated. I think a really big important part of that is a meal and that people uh, are really brought together and have great conversations and great shared experiences over food. And so events and initiatives like diverse dining, I think are really, really important, critically important to kind of creating spaces where these really vital friendships can be made, diverse friendships can be made, diverse experiences can be had, and can open people's worldview up, things that they aren't getting in their life unless you're really intentional about it. And so an action step for me is to be more intentional about the places and the spaces and the people um, I see often and just reflect on how that can be a form of bias in itself. Uh, So thank you uh, for Emerald uh, for creating uh, such a wonderful uh, organization. To add a little bit about what Kyle said, what Emerald Mills and Diverse Dining is doing is creating an intersection between identity and food and bringing people together to share both of those things. And I think there's something special about sharing a meal, something Emerald talked about a ton, but in reality, it's demystifying the unknown, the other. Because as Emerald said, so many people in Milwaukee live their entire lives, and so many people around the world really live their entire lives without knowing people who are different from them, from different backgrounds or different races and ethnicities. So the opportunity to come together, to laugh, to discuss challenges in their own lives, to share with each other similarities, is something special and something that doesn't happen often enough. And it's something that you need to be intentional about. So I hope that Emerald and Diverse Dining continues on with their mission to bring people together. Because it's important not only to get to know somebody else who's different from you, but to have some fun and to eat some good food and share that with someone who's different from you as well. All right, this takes us to the end of our 25th episode. That's one quarter of the way to 100, one half of the way to 50. 
great great that's, progress that's great math. and great mathematics and, and this episode in particular not gonna lie it made me hungry for both conversation but also some great food Child, that was beautiful and if you the listener feels the same way we really want to stress again that there is a diverse dining event at the sherman phoenix just a few days from now on january 31st you can find this event on eventbrite or go to fourdiversedining.com that's the number four diversedining.com to register and find out more information about the organization maybe you or your business wants to host an event mm. you can find all of this information at the website yeah that's, that sounds like a great idea man Maybe Bridge City. Maybe we'll have to host a diverse Ooh, dining event a, yeah, as well. Talk to Emerald about yeah. that. So thanks to Emerald Mills, obviously, for sitting down with us and creating really such a great organization for the city of Milwaukee. We want to thank Marquette University and the Trinity Fellows Program for allowing us to use uh, their space to record this podcast. And again, thank you all, obviously, for listening and then taking action. Uh, we've really heard some great feedback from people who have gotten more involved in the community thanks to uh, listening to one of the guests or one of the topics we've had uh, on the podcast. And, and that's really what this podcast is all about. Yeah, so if you end up going to the the event, mm-hmm. make sure you tweet at us. Maybe hashtag us in your Insta photo or yes. something. Take some pictures. Let us know that we guided you to the event. <laughs> um, and if you've enjoyed this episode as well, please pay it forward by rating and commenting on the iTunes page or wherever you listen to podcasts. Team Pixel here. <laughs> and this helps uh, because rating and commenting helps more people discover the podcast and by extension, more people getting involved in doing things like participating in this diverse dining experience. Exactly. So thanks again to all of you. We hope 2019 is off to a great start and we look forward to continuing to help Bridge the City. Bridge the City. Whoa, whoa. Bridge the City.